second. So for those that are now listening by audio, welcome to the Bible teaching of A Love Outreach. My name is Dave Nelson, and today we will be taking a look at Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. So please go ahead and open your Bibles up there to Acts chapter 6. If you're in a position where you can do so, go ahead and open your Bibles up there. If you're listening by audio and you're driving or doing something like that, don't open your Bibles up right now. Just keep your eyes on the road. Just another reminder that you can always find all of our previous teachings through the book of Acts and many other books of the Bible on various podcasts Cast forms. I mean, we're pretty much on all of the podcast platforms out there. Um, of course, we're on YouTube as well. You can subscribe to or follow us. Uh, follow us on any of those. We do have a Facebook page. You can search for under a Love Outreach. We're on Instagram as well. To be honest, I don't do a whole lot of posting on either one of those though. But let's go ahead and jump on into our verses for today. So again, we're in Acts chapter 6. We're starting there. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hellenists by the Hebrews. Excuse me, let me read that again. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews. Boy, I am all disheveled today, whatever that word means. I think it's the right word. <laughs> but uh, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So we see in verse 1 here that the Holy Spirit was having a tremendous impact on the lives of the individuals of the early church. People were being added to the church, that is to the body of Christ. And keep in mind, when we talk about the church from a biblical standpoint, that's what we're talking about, the body of Christ. We're not talking about a, a denominational church or a non-denominational church or your local church down on the corner. We're talking about the body of Christ as a whole, which is made up of all the people who are believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, right? And the apostles of Jesus back in this time that we're reading about here, they were spreading the gospel as a result of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. And many new believers were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And here in verse one, we see a distinction made between two groups of people. There are Hebrews mentioned here and Hellenists. And the Hellenists were a, a group of Greek-speaking Jews, okay? And the church, the body of Christ in that day had a very prominent role in the society around them at that time. They were operating as the welfare system. The church was taking care of people 
back in this day here. They were um, taking care of the needs of the community, those that had lack and such, right? And that really should be the case today with the body of Christ as well. And I'll kind of expound on that probably more toward the end of this teaching. But, and in this case mentioned here, the Hellenists and the, right, were, were again these Greek speaking Jews were complaining that their widows weren't getting a fair share in the daily distribution. And the 12 apostles of Jesus were, of course, committed to preaching the word. They were committed to spreading the gospel and making sure that people were coming to Christ so that the body of Christ was growing. People were coming to the faith. And they, did, they really didn't have time to deal with this type of thing. So in verse two, it goes on here and says, then the 12, that's the 12 apostles, right? They summoned, they summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So again, the 12 apostles of Jesus, they just didn't have the time to make sure that the homes of people had enough food on the table, that all of these needs were being taken care of. There were only 12 of them. They couldn't do it. They needed the whole of the body of Christ. They needed more people to participate. They needed more people to oversee certain aspects of everything that was going on in the body of Christ and everything that the Holy Spirit was doing through them, right? So then verse three says, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, right? So notice here that the apostles themselves, they didn't just appoint the people that were necessary for these positions. They didn't do it. Instead, they gave this duty to the brothers that were in the church. They passed that responsibility on. They delegated, they delegated that responsibility. They told them to find seven men that could oversee this work of the daily distribution, which, by the way, daily distribution, that is a whole, another topic that we could study as it relates to the way that God provides for our needs, right? Our daily bread. And here, the church was involved with a daily distribution, daily making sure that the needs of people were met. Right? Who was providing for them? The Lord was providing for them to provide for others. But God provides for us in that way on a daily basis. Give us this day our daily bread, right? That's what we should pray on a daily basis, right? But again, that's for a whole another teaching, right? But anyway, one of the apostles keeps speaking here in verse four and says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. Now that's the role of some people, even in the body of Christ today. That's the role that I take on to minister the word of God, to teach people the word of God, to exhort and to edify others to live for Jesus Christ. Okay, and that's why if you've come upon this teaching by some chance and you're listening to it, 
That's my role. That's what people like me do within the body of Christ. But then there are people like you in the body of Christ that are needed to do the things that you're gifted to do or that you feel called to do, whichever the case may be. And that you do by faith, just like what I do right now, I do by faith, right? So the apostles here, though, said that, and of course, they had the most important role that time. They were laying down the foundation of the body of Christ and spreading the, the, the word, and they, they, they wanted to stick to that. And then verse five, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now, pause right there. So the choice of Stephen here, and we're gonna be talking a lot about Stephen, and we're gonna be hearing a lot from Stephen in this teaching today, but the choice of Stephen here seems to be a no-brainer. It seems to be that he was a primary and an obvious choice since he was noted here as being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. So it's an obvious choice, and we see Stephen listed here first, but then the other names come in, and there's Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Par Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So it came back to the apostles, ultimately, that they would make the decision on these guys. Okay, here's who we chose. We're bringing them before you. What do you guys think? They laid hands on them. They prayed for them. And these were the men that were set to be the overseers of this ministry that was needed in the daily distribution. But we'll find out as we read on here that there was more to Stephen than just that. We're gonna find out more about Stephen as we go on here, right? So verse seven then says, then the word of God spread, right? Now, why did the word of God spread? spread? Because these men were devoted to it. They could say, hey, we, they, the apostles said, hey, we gotta keep doing what we're doing. You know, keep spreading the word of God. And that's what they had to keep doing. They couldn't be distracted from the main purpose in their lives, the main goal, right? And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So look, there is a lot that was happening in the movement of the Spirit of the Lord amongst the body of Christ, the early church, right? And the key thing was that the Word of God, like I said, would, would continue to be spread. People were learning the truth, and they were learning about Jesus, and they were coming to faith in Jesus. Okay, and as we see there in verse seven, even the priest, that is religious people, religious leaders of that day were coming to faith in Jesus. See, oftentimes today we have different denominations, you know, that have different, a different hierarchy to them, and we think, well, you know, they're automatically, you know, people of God, but what the apostles had to teach was the truth of the word of God. And even today, we have many religions and such that have hierarchies within them that do not know the word of God. They know their religion. They know the doctrines of men, the doctrines that they've uh, conjured up in one way, shape, or form, and they abide by them, but do they know the word of God? Do they know the living word of God? 
okay? Uh, have they been filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, back in this day, the priest, some of the religious people were coming to find out the truth about Jesus that they didn't know, and they were coming to the faith, okay? And keep in mind that what we're reading here in the book of Acts is the writing of a man named Luke, right? We saw that when we started reading chapter one. And he thought it was good to write all the things down that he saw taking place back in that day, right? And we only have a very small amount of material to learn from here. Luke couldn't write everything down. Right? With the thousands of lives that were being impacted by the gospel, with each of those lives come, comes a story. Think about it. 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. Each one of those lives has a, has a story, has a testimony of where they once were and where they were when they came to Jesus Christ. Just like the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives today to create a testimony, to create, you know, more faith in us, to cause us to, to press on and to persevere. And I'll touch more on that toward the end of this teaching today as well, right? But with each of those lives, again, uh, there are facts that we'll never know anything about because Luke only could write down as much as he could write down. You know how much trouble people have reading the Bible today when it's a book about this thick? Can you imagine if it was a book about this thick? No one would touch it, right? But yet the Holy Spirit does continue to work, you know? Um, you know, in, in certain sense, the book of Acts is still being written because the work of the Holy Spirit is still taking place in the lives of people. Now, I'm not saying I'm adding to the word of God, so don't take me wrong there, but I'm just saying in a certain sense, things are still happening that could be written down, you know, about what goes on in the lives of an individual, right? So, but in order to know this work, this life-changing work of the Holy Spirit, one must come to faith in Jesus, and that's why the apostles saw it so important that they stick to the ministering of the word, right? A person needs to commit their lives to Jesus. You know, put their hands to the plow and not look back. Become an obedient servant to the king, right? And one such man that had done so is a man named Stephen, okay, whom we will now learn more about, right? And it says in verse eight, and Stephen, full and full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Wow, so not only was Stephen one of the ones chosen by the body of believers to tend to the needs of the widows and to tend to the, the work of the daily distribution, but he was also being used by the Spirit of the Lord to do powerful works great wonders and signs among the people. But of course, anytime that you set out to commit your works to the Lord, well, there's going to be opposition of some sort, no matter what. And this was the case in Stephen's life, right? Then verse nine says, then there arose some of what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, 
disputing with Stephen. So what we have here is one of the local religious establishments, one of the synagogues, was made up of these Jews that came from all these different areas that were mentioned here, and they decided to argue with Stephen, to confront him, uh, to dispute him, right? Even though the Spirit of the Lord was clearly working in him. He was performing signs and wonders. And all of this stuff was going on in the life of Stephen. But it didn't matter to these people. They wanted to stick to their way. They did not like this new way. They did not like the fact that they needed to repent of their sin and that they needed to be born again. They didn't like the fact that they were hearing over and over again as we're going through the book of Acts here and they're gonna hear it again today, well, in the teaching we're doing today anyway, they're going to hear the fact that they crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't want to hear this, right? But certain people are stuck on their religion and certain people want to rise up and dispute in an attempt to prove themselves right or to make their doctrine known, right? But what we need to do is to stick to the doctrine that we find in the word of God alone. And I'm telling you, so many people have taken the word of God and ran with it in so many different directions. But I always exhort you and encourage you to study the Bible for yourself, to read it for yourself, right? Read it, actually read it yourself. Or if you can't read for some reason, listen to it. Listen to the word of God and let it work on your heart. But verse 10 continues on and says, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So they were getting nowhere with him, right? And then secretly they induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Isn't this amazing? Well, first of all, they did the same thing to Jesus, right? But Stephen is doing nothing but good. Nothing but good. Think about that. When you think about your own life, maybe you're a Christian and you're following Jesus and you're seeing things go wrong in your life or you're dealing with issues that we all deal with, right? And you're wondering why. Why? What's happening here, Lord? What's happening? I've been going through that for a few years myself, to be honest with you, but what, what must we do? We must keep persevering, and I wanna get really into that toward the end of this teaching, so let me stay on track here. But So Stephen is, is filled with the Spirit. He's led by the Lord. He speaks with great wisdom. He does signs and wonders, but none of that mattered to these religious folks, right? They just simply wanted their own way to prevail and they wanted to shut him up just like they wanted to shut Jesus up. And they were willing to scheme and to lie and to get others to lie for them all in an effort to get rid of someone that they felt was a threat to them. Someone that they just didn't like what he was doing or what he was doing could, could mess with what we're doing. You know, so they wanted to get rid of him. And let me tell you something about that as well. 
I've witnessed this kind of thing firsthand myself in my life. I've had that very thing happen to me. You know, there are plenty religious hypocrites out there that simply want to get their own way. And they will do whatever they can do to devour others that they feel are treading upon their turf or upsetting their apple cart. Even if the person's doing good, it doesn't matter. Even if the person's going out and spreading the gospel, and that's the heart of the person, to go out and to spread the gospel and to teach others, it doesn't matter. There are wars that take place and fights that take place within the body of Christ. Ran into a guy this week, told me he doesn't go to church anymore because too much trouble going on within the churches. Too many problems. But it's all because of religious hypocrites, pharisaical type people that want, that want their way to prevail. And they want to somehow come up and find some way to do something wrong, even if they have to lie about you, as was the case here with Stephen. It didn't matter that he was doing the work of God. Right? And so in verse 12 says, and they stirred up the people the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. I'm telling you, folks, this stuff goes on today. It goes on today, and it's a sad thing, but it's a good thing that our faith is in Jesus. The rock upon which we stand is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever, who will never change. And we must persevere in the faith no matter what happens in our life. When trials and tribulations come, sickness and disease, heartache and pain, brokenness, all of that, we press on in Jesus knowing that he is forever, forever faithful, forever true. He is Lord of all, right? So they set up false witnesses and uh, said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. So here Stephen is, about to be judged, having done absolutely nothing wrong in the sight of God. He's done nothing wrong. People can lie about him. People can say he did this, but in the sight of God, he did nothing wrong. And if you're in that kind of position in your life where people have lied about you, but you know your life is lined up with the word of God, and you know you're staying that course, then you just keep staying that course. You just keep going. You just keep pressing on. You go where God calls you to go. You do what God calls you to do, and you don't let it stop, okay? Because Stephen here is being upon account, uh, account being brought before. There's that word disheveled again. Does that mean anything? I don't know. Someone needs to look that up for me, right? Because it's in my head, and it's probably not even a word, but maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. But he's being brought before a council is what I'm trying to say. And it's a council that is built upon a foundation of lies. But you know, that's the way of the world. And more specifically, it is the way of Satan, the God of this age, who leads these kind of people to lie about things, 
right? He used people to do, like I said, the same thing to Jesus, right? But as was the case with Jesus, nothing will stop the work of God. And keep in mind, right, when I say that, that the work of God, and it's sad that I have to kind of point this out, okay? But the work of God is not about your financial success. It's not about your health. It's not about your wealth. It's not about your emotional well-being. It has nothing to do with who you are outwardly, but it has everything to, to do with who you are inwardly. God does a work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's doing his good pleasure within us, right? In the early church, the spirit of the Lord was not leading people to a health and a wealth doctrine. He was leading people to be born again, fully committed to Christ, a servant to a king. We are the servants. He is our master. We go where he leads us. We do what he wants us to do. No matter the case of our lives, whether we're rich, whether we're poor, whether we're somewhere in between, whether we're healthy, whether we're diseased, or whether we're somewhere in between, we press on by faith to continue to do what he's called us to do. Right? But here in Acts chapter 6, and as we'll soon see in Acts chapter 7, God is using this man, Stephen, to bring truth to a lost and spiritually dead group of people. And verse 15, and all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. The spirit of the Lord was about to use Stephen in a mighty way to hit these religious hypocrites with some badly needed truth. And as we continue on into chapter 7 now, verse 1 says, Then the high priest said, Are these things so? So they were asking Stephen here to defend himself against all the lies that were being spoken. Step up, Stephen, defend yourself. Are these things so? But Stephen was nothing about himself. And he was everything about the Lord. And he's not even going to speak about the lies that were spoken about him. Instead, he's just going to move on. He's just going to keep doing what God's called him to do. And he's going to lay some of the cold, hard facts on these people. He's going to put the truth before them. And I'm going to do a lot of Bible reading right now and not much commentating as we go through chapter 7. And verse 2 goes on and says, And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants. But God spoke in this way. 
that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. Okay, so Stephen's given a history lesson here and he's speaking of when the Jews were in captivity to, eat, to the Egyptians, right? And the nation, verse seven, and the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. See, that God will judge. I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. And the 12 and the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and a great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Now, if you want all the details of this story, all of this is written down in the pages of the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, you can go and find that. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so they might not live. And this time Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mightily in words and deed. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them and they were fighting and tried to reconcile them saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did this to his neighbor wrong pushed him away saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? 
Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in a wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, or the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, notice that, I want to pause, notice that, in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. They actually didn't physically go back, but in their hearts, they went back. You see, and it's your heart that matters. Keep that in mind. But they said to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the work of their hands. See, a lot of people do that. I said I wasn't going to commentate here, but a lot of people do that as well. They make their own God. They make their own religion. They make their own Jesus that they believe in. They don't really care about the truth of the word of God. They're really not waiting to hear from God and what God says. They're too impatient. They'd rather just live by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, and get what they want and do what they want rather than waiting on the Lord. So they make their own idols. Verse 42, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Remphan, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, and he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it, in turn also brought 
with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Remember, this is Stephen talking to these religious men. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, Jesus, right? Of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So that's a very great history lesson that Stephen just told there in regards to what you can find in the Old Testament of the Bible. But like I said, this lesson that Stephen gave here brought some cold, hard facts into the minds of the religious Jews that did not put their faith in Jesus. They did not. And verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. So pause right there because this is something very important for all of us to strongly consider. They just heard the facts. They just heard the truth. And they even heard about the sin in their lives. They murdered the just one. They had been rejecting their savior rejecting the one and only savior of the world, the one that their sacred writings testified and prophesied of. There was and is to be no other savior. There's only one savior. Jesus is all there is. That's it. He is the one that was and is and is to come, the Almighty, as the book of Revelation tells us. So that being the case, the question remains for the reader of the word of God today, are you rejecting your Savior? Have you crucified him to yourself? Have you just chose your own little religion that makes you feel good. The teachings that you hear that are pleasant to your ear, the teachings that allow you to go out and remain in your sin, right, and your trespasses, because you've conjured up some sort of religious little box that doesn't require you to repent from your sin, sinful ways. And with these religious folks here in chapter 7, they didn't decide to repent. 
Instead, they just got angry at the one that brought to them the truth, and they decided to attack him and to kill him. As you'll see as we read on here, verse 55, but he, that's Stephen Wright, being full of the Holy Spirit. How many times have we heard that about Stephen? Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now that's an important piece in the writings of the book of Acts because that young man named Saul will become a man named Paul that would go on to be used mightily by the Lord. But there will have to first be some repentance and some, some submission that takes place in the life of Paul as we will find out as we continue to read the book of Acts but verse 59 tells us, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. What a great man. And what a great example of faith. Stephen's faith was the true kind of faith, the faith that the Bible teaches. It was not a f the false kind of faith that is so commonly taught from the pulpits today. This faith of Stephen's caused him to suffer and to die, not to become healthy and wealthy and prosperous or successful and all of that stuff, right, that you hear from a lot of pulpits today. The apostles of Jesus knew nothing about health and prosperity, the, those doctrines that are taught today. They knew the kind of faith that was all about perseverance, pressing on through the trials and the tribulations that Jesus promised we would have in this life. Is this the kind of faith that you have today? Are you standing for truth? Are you fighting the fight of faith? It is indeed a fight to keep going, right? When troubled times come our way, it's hard. It's difficult. It's hard. But the best life is not now. The best life is yet to come. The best life will be when we are absent from these bodies and present with the Lord. But we must stay the course of faith. You and I will be saved through a faith that perseveres. The gift of salvation is indeed offered, and I want to emphasize that word, it's offered by grace, but salvation 
is through faith. And a faith without works is dead. We've got to fight. We've got to fight against sin. We've got to persevere. We've got to stay the course, come what may. Come what may, we've got to stay the course. And if times are always easy, then there's really no reason for a strong faith, is there? You see, a faith that is tested by trials and tribulations is a faith that becomes strong and unwavering. And a strong and an unwavering faith is a faith that will take us through this life and on into eternity again, come what may, no matter what happens to us in this world, in this life. Men like Stephen were willing to die for their faith in Jesus. They were willing to fight the fight all the way till the end. Again, notice Stephen didn't defend himself. He just moved on. When they attack, just move on. Just keep going. Keep doing what God calls you to do. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, right? Men like Stephen were willing to serve others as we read today that Stephen did. They were willing to not make this life all about what they achieved. They could care less about their dreams and aspirations. They could care less about getting what they wanted out of this world and with their time that they had here. They laid down their lives to preach the word like the apostles did. They were focused on that. They laid down their lives to serve the needs of others. People of faith, like Paul, were willing to say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In other words, everything I do in this life, every step I take, every move I make, everything I do is about Jesus Christ, and that's it. And then the only other thing I wanna do is die. And when I die, there's gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And that's what real faith is, folks. That's what true faith is. That's what biblical faith is. So as we continue to study through the word, we will continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But to God be the glory, God bless, and we will see you next time.